There is a battle going on today for the heart and soul of America, and the right side must win. It's time for America Can We Talk with Debbie George Addis. On America Can We Talk, we talk truth about America and why it matters to you. America Can We Talk starts now. Well, good evening and welcome. I'm Debbie George Addis. Welcome to my show. I'm broadcasting tonight from Minneapolis, Minnesota, because I'm up here for a family reunion, and I have thoroughly enjoyed it. I'll probably feel a little bit more during the show about being in Minnesota and how much fun that's been. But I want to talk in the first five tonight about something that I just think all of us need to keep in mind. Trump, Donald Trump won the election last year in 2016 and ran on very specific things. And you might think what I'm about to say is hyperbole, but it is not. We are nearly six months into Donald Trump's presidency. We have had one victory, which was the appointment of Neil Gorsuch to the Supreme Court. But the four items that Donald Trump gave Congress at the start, right after he was inaugurated, were health care repeal and a possible replacement, deregulation, which we're moving along with a little bit, but not as much as everyone would like, cutting taxes, which is, and the generally speaking, revising the budget, which has, and nothing's happening, and the Supreme Court. So other than being very grateful for Neil Gorsuch, the, reason, the thing I want to tell you tonight is we are literally less than 30 legislative days away from blowing it in having the Republican majority in the White House, and we have the White House, the Congress, and the Senate. The reason I say that is fiscal year 2017 ends on September 30th. Today, here we sit, July 17th, we are fewer than 30 days away, 30 legislative days away from having to accomplish a great deal in the United States Senate we, and in the United States Congress. We have to get something done on Obamacare. We have to get something done on taxes. And the agenda of Donald Trump is stalled. It has been stalled by the efforts, we'll talk in the next hour, uh, next segment, uh, the, by the, about the efforts of the Democrats to stall this But I want to talk a little bit about the Republicans. We are trying to repeal Obamacare. And I'm going to tell you something I learned directly from a U.S. senator two weeks ago. Calls to the U.S. Senate, to the GOP senators, are running 10 to 1 against repealing Obamacare. 10 to 1 saying to the GOP, hold on to Obamacare, we like it. And the reason, and you let that sink in, because some of these GOP senators, very leery of repealing Obamacare, very concerned about all the media mob attention they will get if they do something like that. It's easier to say, well, it seems like from these calls, maybe people don't want Obamacare repealed. I'm telling you, folks, people want Obamacare repealed. But what we're seeing is, number one, a lot of effort by the Democrats. They are fired up. Too many people in the conservative base are thinking, well... We won the election 2016. We have the White House. We have the Congress. We have the Senate. And sitting back. This is the time to fight. This is a time to be making calls. Now, I will say, I know the Democrats end up doing a lot of things like robocalls, mindless callers calling in. It may be a little bit of fake news, this idea that the calls are running 10 to 1. But the gist of what I'm saying is the Republicans in the U.S. Senate and the House need to be reminded by you, the voters, the activists, that we meant it when we meant when we said repeal Obamacare. We meant it. And, you know, the 2016 election, they had really big issues in that election that swayed it. Obamacare repeal was one. Border security was one. Building the wall was one. Protecting the Americans from dangerous refugees was one. 
But I always thought that election had a bigger underlying message, and I still think it today, which was kind of the message of the American voters saying, we want you to repeal the idea that government should be running our health care system. We want you to repeal the growing presence of socialism in America, that people want to reinstate the idea of American-style liberty as the basic assumption in the American political conversation. That's what people loved about Trump. Like him or not during the primary, people elected him to actually make significant change in America, to turn the clock back, to turn away from the road to socialism. And right now, where we're sitting with Obamacare, we have a bill coming out of the Senate, and tonight I probably will not have a chance to go in great detail in it, but it's basically to quote Chip Roy, who's been on the show many times, who's a 10th Amendment senator guy at the Texas Public Policy Foundation, This is barely more than an amendment to the original Obamacare bill. What the Senate has produced is not anything close to an actual repeal of the concept of of getting rid of government-controlled health care. A lot of senators weighing in, a lot of senators talking about, you know, what they do and don't like about the bill. One thing that should be just a no-brainer in this bill is the amendment proposed by Senator Ted Cruz, Texas Senator Ted Cruz, uh, that is essentially saying we ought to be able in this country, if you're an insurance company and you sell policies that comply with Obamacare, you ought also to be able to sell policies that people actually want, that consumers want. A policy that has the coverage you want at a price you can afford, it should be none of Washington's business if that sale is permitted. But This idea that Ted Cruz has that maybe insurance companies should be able to function like we live in a free country and offer a policy and see if people want to buy it or not, that is considered an outrage in Washington. And, folks, I'm telling you, this is a sign, it's a signal of how far left America marched under the last seven-plus years under the health care bill of Obamacare, under the last eight years of Obama, that we think the idea that a a health insurance company in America shouldn't be able to sell a policy that somebody wants because maybe other people won't like it. Folks, I'm telling you, we had the battle is, was not won in November 2016. This is a decades-long battle to get America back on track, to get America back to the place where we actually expect America to be. This is Debbie George Ass, America Can We Talk. Don't go away. Texans have a long tradition of independence, and we don't like being told what to do, especially by liberal bureaucrats 1,000 miles away. That's why for 30 years, the Dallas-based Institute for Policy Innovation has fought Washington's efforts to take more of your money and freedom. IPI works every day to keep taxes low and freedom high, to promote free market health care, expand energy security, protect intellectual property, and combat onerous regulations that destroy American jobs. Politicians often talk smaller government, but then vote for more of it. By contrast, IPI has never veered from its mission to defend the Constitution and fight for freedom. If you want to be informed about free market policies and solutions, go to IPI's website and sign up. All of their information is free for sharing. Help IPI restore liberty and economic growth. Go to IPI.org today. That's IPI.org. One more time, go to IPI.org today. Hi, this is Debbie George Addis. On my radio show, we have the theme music by Krista Branch that has the refrain, I am America. I chose it because it summarizes what I think is a really important truth about America. We the people are America. 
We the people are blessed with extraordinary power in our country, and we have to use that power to keep America strong and free for everyone. And how do we do that? We have the responsibility to understand the issues facing our country, to get beyond soundbite and slogan politics. We have the responsibility when politicians propose solutions to understand, will those solutions preserve American-style freedom or slowly, incrementally destroy it? We have to vote once we are informed about the issues. But even more so, we have to speak up to our friends, our family members, to speak up in our daily life about the reality that we each have a responsibility and privilege to defend American-style freedom. This is Debbie Georgiatis on America Can We Talk. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. Let me tell you about the group Vice President Mike Pence called the most effective grassroots pro-life organization in America. It's the Susan B. Anthony list, and they're the ones who are on Capitol Hill right now, day in, day out, to fight back against Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. Every day in our nation, abortion takes more than 2,000 innocent lives, almost two every single minute of every single day. And Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion business in the country, committing one-third of all abortions. It's an unspeakable tragedy and a stain upon our nation and our humanity. And it's up to us to do something about it. This is your opportunity to join the team that's leading the charge to end abortion. Go to sba-list.org or Google Susan B. Anthony List now to learn more and start saving lives today. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. And as I mentioned at the start of the show, I have, I'm in Minneapolis, Minnesota, because uh, I was here for a family reunion. And I'm so grateful and excited that we've got just a great guest joining us this hour. And you've heard his name on my show because I quote his articles from Powerline, which is a fabulous conservative blog. We have John Hinderocker in studio. Hello, sir. Hi, Debbie. <laughs> so glad you're here. You know, I wanted to say a bit more about him, and then we'll turn to just, I mean, he's a, this blog is just a wonderful source of analysis and many serious issues. And, um, and, and he also happens to be the president of uh, a group called Center of the American Experiment, which is the Minnesota version of the Texas Public Policy Foundation. Probably some differences. We can talk about that. But, I mean, there, it's a conservative think tank. So I wanted to start tonight with, because uh, you're um, – blog is fabulous, Powerline. We, we quote it all the time. I want to start in the subject of something you wrote about this fairly recently, which is the obstruction that the uh, 
Democrat Party is kind of piling on the obstruction of Donald Trump's agenda. Now, I started out this show tonight more than a little critical of the Republicans because I feel like they're not doing everything they could either to push the agenda. But there's a lot of talk about how the Democrats are obstructing obstructing the agenda. And you you spelled out a bunch of them. So I'd love to give you, if you could just give us a summary of what the Democrats are doing to really obstruct Donald Trump's agenda. And I'll have some questions for you. Absolutely, Debbie. So in the beginning, Trump was slow making executive branch nominations. He didn't have a lot of off-the-shelf, you know, uh, Trump bureaucrats waiting in line for jobs, right? And he wanted to get some different people, not recycle uh, Republicans from past administrations. So it took him a while to get going. But that phase is behind us. Uh, He now has been uh, feeding a steady stream of nominations to the Senate. As of June 30th, uh, President Trump had forwarded 242 nominations to the Senate. Only 50 out of the 242 had been confirmed. Okay, Jimmy Jebbett, nominations for what kind of things? Well, the the executive branch. Uh, You know, the president, this is a huge problem, Debbie, as you know, for for us conservatives. The the federal bureaucracy is about 99.8% liberal, uh, Democrats. And so there are all these layers of of bureaucracy in all the federal agencies. The president only gets to a point, what is it, three layers down, the cabinet secretary and two two (laughs) levels below. Everybody below that, virtually, is a Democrat. And so as Donald Trump is trying to implement his agenda, he needs conservative Republicans in those three levels that he's able to appoint to run the agencies, run the various federal departments. And what's going on here, Debbie, what makes this so sinister is that the Democrats fundamentally do not accept the legitimacy of the Trump administration. They really are trying to drive Donald Trump out of office. They don't think he's going to serve a four-year term. They may be able to just drive him right out of Washington, D.C. And part of that plan is to strangle his administration in the cradle, never let him get his appointees in place so that, in effect, President Trump never does run the executive branch. And they're implementing that strategy by just stalling and obstructing so that nothing gets through the Senate. You know, I'm so glad you said that because a lot, I, I agree, and I, we've mentioned this show before, but Ronald Reagan lamented about that, you know, way back when he was elected, how he could have the head of an agency. So it seemed like, okay, I'm in charge now. I have the head of the agency. But realizing that layers below that agency head were able to obstruct a lot of what he wanted to do, they kind of had the mentality, we're going to outlast you, President Reagan. We'll, we'll be here longer. We're going to do what we want. You're just kind of, you know, we're just going to talk up there, but we're going to keep doing what we've always done. And so this is what's happening to Donald Trump to a certain degree. These, these lower bureaucratic, they're high level in the bureaucracy, but they're right below the uh, appointment level or the, uh, the head of the agency. They're just going to stall him at every, way, every turn. That's right. It's the administrative state. And we've heard a lot about the administrative state in recent years, and rightly so. I think it's the number one problem we face. This is the permanent government. They view Trump as a temporary intruder. Intruder is a good word. Okay. You also mentioned your article. I didn't even know about this before, but the Democrats, one way they are obstructing Donald Trump's agenda. And again, it's important to understand when the Democrats obstruct Donald Trump's agenda, they are really obstructing you, the American voter. They are saying, you voter made a poor decision. We don't like President Trump. He's not one of us. Whatever reasons we have, we don't like him. And so when they're obstructing him, they're obstructing the voters. And they're really, at its core, deciding that they, the ruling class, they will rule America. And it will not be Donald Trump and his team. But one thing you mentioned I didn't know about, this blue, blue slip 
process being used by the Democrats, which I didn't even know they had available, but they, they probably have all sorts of tricks we don't understand. You want to tell us about that? Yeah, this is one of those Senate customs. It's not written anywhere. It's actually just something that the chairman of the Judiciary Committee can implement. And it doesn't go back all the way to the founding. I forget how many years it goes back. It's, you know, some decades. Um, and, and the blue slip tradition is that senators can veto judicial nominations within their states. And uh, when, the Senate, when, when the senators are of an opposing party, you know, that just doesn't work. Uh, they, they don't get to nominate judges. The president gets to nominate judges. And what's happened is that the Democrat and, – and, and like a lot of these, these old traditions, it works when people are operating in good faith, when there's a certain overriding patriotism, collegiality – when, yeah, you may disagree about, about means, but you probably agree about ends. You want what's best for America. We don't have that anymore. And so what we now have is a situation where the Democrats have not been willing to go along with a single judicial nomination in any state where they've got senators. And a great example of that is right here in Minnesota. We have two Democratic senators. Uh, President Trump has nominated a fine judge uh, currently sitting on the Minnesota Supreme Court, a man named David Strauss, to serve on the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals, you know, one notch below the Supreme Court. The Democrats have no objection to him. I mean, there's, you know, there's no rational objection to that nomination, but the two Democratic Party senators from Minnesota refuse to permit it. And so the nomination is not moving forward. So this is a classic example where if the Democrats are not going to operate in good faith, the Republicans have to change the rules. Chuck Grassley, the chairman of the uh, Senate Judiciary Committee, can, can do this. He can just say, okay, that's it. We're going to proceed. Parties, exactly. And this is part of what, you know, I, I think what you're, meant, you're talking about here is I think the level of opposition at the core of the Democrat Party, and I always talk about the Democrat media mob. It's the Democrats and the media right behind them, but the core, the, the base opposition to the idea that Donald Trump gets to be president, it is, it's just it, that is never going to end. That opposition to his mere presence in Washington is not going to end, and it's being fought at a level of war. It's just you're not going to implement your policies. You're not going to get your people in. So just in case for our listeners, if you wonder if this is being exaggerated by the what we're talking about just one example less than a month away from the august recess the senate has confirmed only 23 percent of trump's 216 nominations by comparison by the first august recess during obama's first term the senate had confirmed 69 percent so trump gets 23 percent of his confirmed at the same point in time in obama's first term 69 percent it's a massive organized opposition by the Democrat Party of America to say this guy just he just doesn't get to govern he just doesn't get to to have his way and you know what I want to hit the other point about this is you could say well you know okay so Democrats of course are obstructing they don't like him they didn't like Trump they wanted Hillary to win or whatever they think but really doesn't it actually get in the way of Trump moving his agenda forward like getting things done in the agencies well, absolutely. That, that's the problem. Right now, uh, the federal agencies are being staffed primarily by Obama holdovers, and, and they're leaking like crazy, you know, among other things. It's ridiculous. It's an absurd situation. And President Trump, like any other president, has got the right to staff an administration and try to carry out the policies that for which he was elected. Yeah. And, you know, I have all these. I do understand how hard numbers are to um, say on radio, though, so I'm only going to say a few but I'm going to post, and I always urge our listeners to go to americacanwetalk.org. We publish all of the links to things we talk about. But the data that I have in front of me that lay out that lays out 
you know, that the the extreme nature of this problem, the extreme nature of Democrats simply not willing to permit this president to make appointments. They're characterized in a, in a link, um, which actually came, I believe it's from the White House. The uh, It's from the White House, but it lists all sorts of numbers. And then um, and the time, the time delays Democrats put in place, the number of delays. And it ends up where I think that what voters feel like is not just, okay, I'm frustrated with the Democrats, but Republicans just do something about it. So what can the what Republicans do? Well, uh, several things. This all has to do with Senate rules. I, I mentioned the blue slip. Chuck Grassley unilaterally can say, okay, that's it. We're, we're going to proceed with these nominations. We don't care what the Democrat uh, senators say about them. Um, the, the, the rules that have to do with uh, the, the timing of consideration, this gets pretty arcane. I don't want to go into a lot of detail, but the Democrats are are taking advantage of this two-day waiting period and then 30 hours of debate for every nomination, no matter how trivial. At that rate, the four years would be up, and the nominations would not all have been heard. So, so the Republicans, if necessary, have simply got to change the rules. They absolutely do. And folks, if you're just tuning in tonight, uh, I'm broadcasting from Minneapolis, Minnesota. I love Minnesota. We came in all our family vacations here. Love it, love it. We have John Hindrocker in studio with us. He is the president of the Center of the American Experiment, a very famous Powerline blogger and a great commentator on America. So this is Debbie Georgiatis. I have Mari Sullivan. I'll tell you after the break why she's up here. And America Can We Talk? Don't go away. Our nation faces a choice, the path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility, whether informing the national debate on property rights, energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. If you want to get at the issues that really matter for women and men, go to IWF.org. That's the Independent Women's Forum. IWF is all about increasing the number of American women who value free markets and personal liberty. IWF's motto is all issues are women's issues. They bring a fact-based approach to politics, policy, and culture. When the left tried to peddle a phony war on women, IWF shot back with facts and figures. American women aren't victims in need of ever-increasing government protection. And IWF doesn't think things are perfect, but they believe that individual liberty is the key to prosperity and fulfillment. Along with their sister organization, Independent Women's Voice, IWVoice.org, which is a leader in the fight against Obamacare, they offer policy papers, op-eds, and a popular blog on issues of the day. So visit IWF at IWF.org. That's IWF.org. 
If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are nearly a half million Heritage members and supporters in America. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates from Heritage Foundation on the fight for conservative solutions to America's challenges. Plus, you'll receive exclusive invitations to conservative events where you live. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. Welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis, and I have in studio with me John Hinderocker. If you're just tuning in, I'm sure you've heard his name before in our show, but he is a blogger at Powerline. He's also the president of the Center for the American Experiment, which is in Minnesota, roughly equivalent of the Texas Public Policy Foundation, with an advertiser on our show and a fabulous uh, public policy group. So we're talking, and John Hinderocker, I meant to mention in uh, introducing him, he's also, uh, beside being a, a head of a fabulous group and a, and a very, a very well-respected blogger, um, he's also a long-term attorney, um, and he uh, was a Dartmouth graduate in Harvard Law School, and uh, he's been in commercial litigation, been voted many times in the best lawyer list of all kinds, 100 best lawyers in Minnesota, listed many times the best lawyers in America. And I'm saying that because we're going to get to legal stuff now, Okay. Legal questions. But seriously, I have uh, Greg, I believe, has a clip to play that was a quote by Tim Kaine. I want to hear what we um, John Hindenrucker has to say about what Tim Kaine said. This question of collusion, which essentially starts to transition this into potentially a treason investigation. When he was approached with this idea, he should have turned it over to law enforcement immediately. That's what anybody should have done. So very serious, but I think the Senate Intel Committees and the special prosecutor now have a lot more work to do. We're, we're now beyond obstruction of justice in terms of what's being investigated. This is moving into perjury, false statements, uh, and even into potentially treason. Okay, that uh, was Tim Kaine. I'm sure you all know he was the, uh, the VP choice of Hillary Clinton and her campaign, uh, famously known for whining a lot. But 
That was a very serious allegation he was making, and I think he's a little bit tried to walk it back. But he's taking he's referring to the ongoing endless investigation by the FBI about whether or not Donald Trump and his team in some way colluded, which is not a crime. Collusion is not a crime, but colluded with Russia in order to undermine the American the, the fairness of America's uh, um, election last year in 2016. So. Now we have we're going to talk about Donald Trump Jr. and his, you know, nefarious meeting with some uh, irrelevant lawyer. But first, I want to ask, is is uh, Tim Kaine out of line to be talking about this might be treason? Debbie, it's completely insane. I mean, it is absolutely insane. A guy had to be on something when he was saying <laughs> that. I mean, there no rational person could make a comment like that. It's completely nuts. It is completely nuts. And I have to say, you know, well, Tim Kaine's got an agenda. You know, he's he's riding with the Democrats and undermine this president any way you can. But next, I want to play a clip by Trey Gowdy, who is supposed to be on our side. And, and may I don't know actually what John Hindrocker thinks of this clip. But I want to play what Trey Gowdy had to say just this past week. And then we can talk to John about that. Someone close to the president needs to get everyone connected with that campaign in a room and say from the time you saw Dr. Zhivago until the moment you <laughs> until the moment you drank vodka with a guy named Boris, you list every single one of those. And we're going to turn them over to the special counsel because this drip, drip, drip is undermining the credibility of this administration. OK, I used to like Trey Gowdy sometimes, although I got didn't like him that much in Benghazi, but. What he's essentially saying, and I want to hear John Hinderocker's response, but what I hear him saying is that somehow if Trump got every single person connected with his campaign in a room and everyone gave him a list of every time they ever talked to a Russian in their entire life, and then the investigation went with all those people, that would prove there was nothing to it, and then the whole thing would go away. So he thinks I, I, it's ridiculous, Debbie. It, it, like there's something wrong with talking to a Russian or eating Russian dressing or, yes. or drinking vodka. I don't know. There's no end to it. You cannot satisfy these people. You know, one of the things that just makes me laugh when Jeff Sessions was being confirmed, there's all this brouhaha that he might have like passed by the Russian ambassador in a corridor and waved at him or something. You know, that's what ambassadors do. The Russian ambassador is a man about town. He knows everybody. He goes to parties. He chats people up. When President Trump gave his first State of the Union speech, they don't call it that, but that's that's what it is. Uh, The first year, they don't call it State of the Union, but but it's to the assembled uh, House and Senate. The Russian ambassador was sitting by invitation with the House Democrats. You know, they panicked. I think we better the investigate them. And there's, yeah. and there's the Russian ambassador sitting with the Democrats as they listen to President Trump giving his speech. The idea that there's something, oh my God, it's collusion if somebody has a conversation with a Russian is, is just nuts. It is nuts. And I, what I fear or I can feel concerned about is I think there are a lot of Americans who don't have time to read every political article there is, unlike a lot of us who just kind of live and breathe this stuff. And they keep seeing Russia and Trump in headlines. And at some point they're thinking, well, maybe there's something to it. That's one thing that concerns me, which leads me to say I'm very troubled by the fact that the U.S., uh, the House and the Senate both have select intelligence committees still investigating this non-existent crisis about Trump and Russia. And in a way, their continued investigations are both making them unable to do the agenda they should be doing and feeding the public perception might be something to it. I mean, wouldn't it? I would love to see them say, you know what? We're done investigating this hogwash. We're going to do the agenda that Trump put in place. Well, I agree. I think they should throw it on the gauntlet. You know, it's so ironic, Debbie, that they're talking about Trump and Russia. I mean, Hillary Clinton, his opponent, is the one 
who authorized the sale of, what, a third of all the American uranium to the Russians when she was Secretary of State at the same time that Bill Clinton was getting hundreds of thousands of dollars from Russian oligarchs for giving speeches. How about that if you're going to investigate something? There's, there's a real plausible claim of corruption on the part of Hillary Clinton when she was the Secretary of State in a way that was really antithetical to America's national interests. There's nothing like that. There's nothing remotely like that in connection with Donald Trump. And likewise, Debbie, if you look at what are the policies? What are the yes. policies? <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was Barack Obama and, and Hillary Clinton who one of their first acts was to go with the reset button with, to the Russians and say, oh, we're so sorry that George W. Bush was mean to you. Yeah. We, we want to reset. <laughs> we we want to start over. We're not going to be mean like George W. Bush. We like you. And it was Barack Obama who gave away the store in Eastern Europe and canceled the uh, anti-missile deals and so forth. It was Barack Obama who never once stood up to the Russians in, in, in the Ukraine or in Crimea or, or anywhere else. And it was Barack Obama who was caught on mic saying to uh, Dmitry Medvedev, the yep. president of, of Russia, you know, tell Vladimir, as soon as the election is over, I'll have more flexibility. Well, what does that mean? Flexibility to give away the store in ways that I can't do before the election because the voters won't like it. I mean, it's unbelievable. That's the administration that gave away the store to the Russians. Trump, on the other hand, has been tough on the Russians. Yeah, I'd love to have you elaborate. I couldn't agree more. Trump is proving what he's proving exactly that he is obviously not in bed with the Russians. He wasn't trying to help them. They weren't trying to help him either because once he got in office, the stuff he's doing, even his speech, we're to get to and uh, the next segment, but even his speech when he talked about, in speech in Warsaw, he talked about the Russians better shape up and stop doing this, start doing this. And his policy, that three C's summit, I don't know if you followed that at all, but Trump is over in Eastern Europe, uh, former Russian bloc countries, giving those countries a way to get free of reliance on oil from Russia by saying, we're going to sell you oil. This is undercutting uh, Putin, undercutting Russia, undercutting their economy. He, his policies are exactly the opposite of somebody who would be wanting to, who is trying to support Russia. 100% true. You know, everybody knows that Saudi Arabia is dependent on oil. Without oil, it collapses. Well, Russia is the same, only it's natural gas. And Russia has not hesitated to cut off supplies of natural gas to European countries when they weren't, uh, you know, towing the, uh, the, the Russian line. And so for us to make available alternative supplies of natural gas to the, to the countries of Western Europe, but, but above all, Eastern Europe, uh, is a huge uh, diplomatic effort. And it's antithetical to, to, to Russian interests and very damaging to Russia's economy. And, of course, you know, the threshold question is relieving Russia of sanctions. Russia right now is subject to sanctions that are, that are hurting its economy. And so the, 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 the thing that the Democrats alleged was, oh, just wait, you know, because of this collusion, Trump is going to lift the sanctions. Well, he hasn't <laughs> lifted the sanctions. I mean, there's not a single thing that President Trump has done that is in any way uh, favorable to Russia. It was the Obama administration that did all that stuff. We are living, Debbie, in never, never land. It is never, never land. I was going to say, now that they realize that Trump is not going to lift those sanctions, no one says it anymore. That was a line from whatever it was, how long ago it was, that they were, they were saying that Trump was going to do that. Uh, you know, I do want to ask you, and I don't know how much time we have in this segment. I can't do math in my head. Yes, I can. Okay, we have a couple minutes. So do you think, in light of all this stuff that, um, that tr Trump is putting up with this endless investigation into fantasy world of the Trump-Russia collusion, 
Should Trump retaliate? We only have like a minute in this segment, but should Trump retaliate and launch some investigations uh, of Hillary or Comey or any of the Democrat characters just to kind of say, you want to play this game, I'll play it with you? Or is he better off just doing his agenda? Well, it's a thought. It's tempting to launch an investigation of Hillary and the uranium, for example. That would be fun. All things considered, though, I think he is better served, and above all, Congress is better served to move forward and, and govern and legislate. Let's have tax reform. Let's do the things we were elected to do. Amen to that. I hope you're not just tuning in because you've missed a fabulous show so far, but this is Debbie Georgiatis, and I'm, I have in studio John Hinderocker. We're going to zip off to a break in just a moment. When we come back, I want to go back and talk with him both about Trump's speech in Warsaw and you know his kind of saving Western civilization fabulous speech, and then also, since we're here in Minnesota, I'm going to find out about civilization in Minnesota and how come we can't get these guys to vote Republican. Don't go away. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. There is a lot of talk today among media, in academia, in our culture, about everything that is supposedly wrong with America. Political correctness tries to dictate that we must stop thinking that America is exceptional. America's bravest have our back in the air, at sea, and on land. But who has America's back in the culture? In schools, on cable television, in newspapers? It's time to end the greatest prejudice on earth, anti-Americanism. And who makes the case for America? Flag does. Flag is the foundation for liberty and American greatness. Flag has America's back on the cultural battlefield. Flag is a nonprofit battle tank working to change the cultural and media narrative about America. If you think it's time to stand up for America, join the Foundation for Liberty and American Greatness. Your support of Flag is an investment in the America your children will inherit. Visit their website at flagusa.org and consider donating. All donations are 100% tax deductible. That's flagusa.org. Could you lose your career because of your faith? Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God? Can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs? Get the answers and, if necessary, legal protection from First Liberty Institute. First Liberty is the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact, First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. They've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to local schools. Visit FirstLiberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. 
That's FirstLiberty.org. If you want hope for religious freedom and a free listing of your rights, go to FirstLiberty.org now. Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. Welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgettis. I'm glad you've tuned in. We have in studio tonight John Hinderocker, who's a Powerline blogger and the head of the Center of the American Experiment. So on this final segment that we have John with us in studio tonight here in Minneapolis, um, which I, I love Minnesota. I have to say, we spent all of our summers growing up coming to Minnetonka. I love Minnesota. I don't, I, we're going to talk about why they don't vote conservatively, but I love the state and I love my cousins and my family here. So you had we talked in the show last week, uh, and I think most talk show hosts did actually talk about Trump's speech in Warsaw, and it was really kind of a reinvigoration of the of the American idea. He spoke fondly and respectfully of the West and uh, of Western values, and he, I actually thought he did himself a big favor because during the campaign, a lot when he would talk about America, he just he didn't spell out in the most articulate way possible what he meant and so it opened him up a little bit to the left saying oh it's xenophobic homophobic something phobic whatever it was but he really spelled out what he thinks western civilization meant and they were it was right on it was it was just rock solid on so he gave this great speech but what i was so struck by was how much the american left truly i mean was offended was offended at the idea that the west would be considered exceptional did you have a reaction to that I wrote about this, Debbie, on Powerline. Uh, I was shocked at that, too. Uh, I'm, the title of my post is, uh, It's True, Liberals Hate Western Civilization. <laughs> and, and Trump gave this wonderful speech praising Western civilization and talking about America in the context of Western civilization. And, and I agree with you. It, you know, it, it really made up for some deficiencies during the campaign of where he really sees America and the world and, and, and so forth. It was a wonderful speech. Uh, you could talk about it for a long time. It was Reagan-esque. It's a speech that Reagan could have given. And the left hated it. <laughs> the liberals attacked it. And it was so interesting. And one very common theme was that it was racist. It yes. was a racist speech. Whenever, whenever Trump talked about Western civilization, they'd say, that means white. 
That means white. <laughs> right. And they kept saying it was a dog whistle to racists. And the notion that I mean, this is really because the left has tried to create that template that, that you know, Western ideas and liberty and freedom and free markets, which are the foundational ideas of America, that what they're saying is, well, because at the time America was almost everyone here uh, who was part of forming the Declaration of Independence and writing the Constitution were white men. And therefore, all these founding ideas we're racist, and this is, uh, I go back to one point we talk about a lot, which is this is the failure of public school system and the, and the parents in this country, the culture from kindergarten through college to really teach and celebrate the unique greatness of America. So people feel free to say, oh, that must mean racism. It's insane. And, of course, we conservatives have never thought that our principles, the principles of the founding – of Western civilization are limited to one race. Obviously, the, 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 the places where Western civilization grew were predominantly white. But ask Thomas Sowell. You know, ask Thomas Sowell. Is Western civilization only for white people? Yeah. How about Yo-Yo Ma? You know, Western music, classical music, is that only to be played by white people? We all know that's not true. And, and this dog whistle concept, who's the dog? You know, yeah. <laughs> I can't hear it. You can't hear it. What are they hearing? You know, they're the ones that can't stop talking about race. Oh, I, and I think it's – I actually was grateful both that he gave the speech, he was so strong, and that the reaction was what it was because it makes people realize what is it exactly the way the Democrats are saying? Who is it that the left is saying is – is, uh, is uh, why are they offended? What is the notion that they have about what America means, what Western civilization means? Because they've tried to equate – the American left has tried to equate – have all this moral equivalency of all things – moral equivalency of cultures, of religions, of societies, of countries. And so the idea of someone saying, no, actually, it's, it's better to have freedom, was offensive to them. That, 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 that runs against their notion of just making America into a, a kind of meaningless, um, amorphous, lacking any substance of ideas country. Yeah, I, I think at bottom they hate Western civilization. Do you, you remember how during the Cold War uh, the, the liberals wouldn't admit that they were pro-communist? I think it was Gore Vidal, though, who defined himself as an anti-anti-communist. Yes. <laughs> he wouldn't quite say, I'm a communist. He'd say, I hate the people who are opposed to communism. And these people don't want to say, I hate Western civilization. But what, what they will say is, I hate anyone who defends, who advocates yep. for Western civilization. What does that tell you? Yeah, it tells you exactly right. So turning to the state of Minnesota, um, I will tell you that, um, as I mentioned earlier, we have um, – there's a little town, Minnetonka, and people have heard of it because they, they have shoes made in Minnetonka, I think, right? Minnetonka Moccasins. boots or something. Anyway, so we spent all our summers growing up here, and my grandmother had 23 grandchildren, and so we have 20 surviving of these cousins. And they all married, and they all had kids, and their kids had kids, so it was a big family. So we had our big cousins get together uh, this past week, and we had – I kind of, I, and I think they're watching on Facebook. So if they are, hi, hi, cuz. I know you're all watching and listening um, up at the camp. That, that someone's late camp. But, um, you know, I decided not to talk much about politics because I know mostly they, they vote Democrat. And I don't want to get an argument about politics over, um, you know, over this great cousins reunion weekend. But we did get off with a couple of cousins, kind of one on one, saying, hey, tell me about this radio show. It sounds really good. So they were kind of, actually, three of them separately pulled me aside to talk about that. So I, I feel, number one, something I say on the show quite often is it's very unfortunate that we in America can barely discuss politics 
without getting angry. We can barely have conversations about ideas, about what's better, you know, Western civilization or Sharia created civilization or we can we can barely discuss ideas. And then and that but I and anyway, so I, I love the idea that in America we're found in ideas that we should get to talk about. So that was a long ramble to get on my question for you, John Hinderocker, which was <laughs> so why is Minnesota this land of of self reliant, can do, Midwestern, wholesome values, a lot of them are good Lutherans like my grandfather and uncles why is it you think the state is so left? Well, it's it's really ironic, Debbie, because the, the strength of the state of Minnesota comes largely from the fact that the residents here historically have had very conservative values. There's all kinds of indices you can look at. You know, this is a conservative state in terms of how people behave. And and because because people behave conservative, conservatively and because the state is blessed with wonderful natural resources, historically we've had a pretty strong economy. And a lot of people in the state have been kind of fooled into thinking that the strength of the state comes from liberal policies that come out of our state government in St. Paul, whereas, in fact, that's what is dragging us down. Having said that, Debbie, a lot of Minnesotans are wising up. You know, Donald Trump only lost the state by a point and a half. A lot of people say if he'd come here twice instead of once, he might have carried Minnesota. And currently the Republicans uh, control both the Minnesota House and the Minnesota Senate. We've got a big governor election coming up next year. So, so things are changing very rapidly, especially in greater Minnesota, but I think also in the, in the Twin Cities, as, as in part due to the efforts of my organization, Center of the American Experiment, to promote conservative ideas and one of the things that we really emphasize is that this state, if you look at our actual economic performance during the 21st century, it's not very good. You know, Minnesotans tend oh. to be very complacent. They think, you know, we're the best, we're the top, uh, everybody else should take a lesson from us, do things the way we do, be, the way we do, be liberal like us. And it's kind of a shock uh, when they realize, just looking at the data, that the truth so is... Economic performance? Or? Economic performance. The truth is our economic performance in the 21st century has been at best, at best average. Wow. That's interesting to know. That's very interesting. So I do want to give you some time to talk about your organization, Center of the American Experiment. And again, uh, this is a think tank. John Hinderocker here being the president uh, in studio here in Minnesota and being the president of Center of the American Experiment. I'd love to have you just tell our listeners how it got started and what are your big goals for, say, the next year? Yes. Well, the center is about 28 years old. It was founded by Mitch Perlstein, who stepped down as president at the end of 2015. I was finishing up a long law career at that time. I retired from the law business and uh, went into the think tank business. I've been running the center for the last year and a half. Uh, we, we pursue uh, a number of issues. I brought you a present, Debbie, a copy of our latest quarterly magazine, Thinking Minnesota. It's hot off the press. It just came out last week. Thank it, you. I'm going to show you here if you're watching for our recording and if you're watching on Facebook Live. There you go. It's a really good <laughs> magazine. I, I say that. I, I have relatively little to do with it, but it, but it covers a lot of the issues that we're working on. So, for example, the cover story uh, this time is about traffic congestion in the Twin Cities and the fact that People assume that it's like cold winters. It's just a fact of life, but it isn't. It is a bureaucratic decision that's been made by unelected agencies that are trying to change how we live, force us into different patterns of, of, uh, of development and, and residence, and force us out of our cars onto bicycles and trains. And it's really uh, it's an astonishing story if you, if you delve into it. Is this We've talked about Mari and I have talked about this on the show other times. Is this something that started from Washington? And Minnesota's following along, or is this your own people, this business of trying to force you into public transportation and different housing patterns? It's really us. It comes out of a couple of state agencies that, that are unelected, 
um, and that control transportation in the seven-county metropolitan area and throughout the state. So, so that's an example of an issue that we work on that, number one, is of immediate concern to people, and number two, there's a lesson there. There's a lesson that liberals in these agencies are, uh, without any accountability, trying to force us to live in ways that we don't really want to live. I love that. Kind of similar to how agencies in Washington do it, whether it is and, – and actually the elected Democrats in Congress. We end up living under Obamacare, which Congress exempted itself from, but they, they think they, they can pull all the strings and, and orchestrate everything and, and somehow make it all magically work. I did want to point out – I meant to say in the opening segment as we're talking about dealing with Obamacare that uh, the vote in the Senate to uh, decide whether or not to uh, go forward with this Senate – barely amendment to Obamacare uh, has been delayed because Senator John McCain uh, is unavailable. He has surgery. And of course we wish everyone well, but he had a very serious blood clot, I guess, in his eye. It was kind of brain surgery. I saw someone talked about as minimally invasive. I don't think there is such a thing as minimally invasive brain surgery. But anyway, I digress. What I want to say about that is this is, you know, part of the problem in Washington. You have John McCain eligible for a healthcare system and healthcare thing that you couldn't buy. Because he gets his special system. So we have Senator Ted Cruz came up with a bill, again, recently proposed to say unexempt everyone in Congress from Obamacare. Uh, and I'm grateful for him and grateful for, you know, this bureaucrat, this picture of bureaucrats sitting behind, the, um, you know, the desk or sitting in a dark room, scheming and planning what, what they're going to do to us. Um, and, and then exempting themselves is particularly egregious. So. Again, we have John Hinderocker in studio. We only have about a minute left, and I would love to have, you know, we have in Texas, Texas Public Policy Foundation, but your group here, Center of the American Experiment, I'm sure you, you survive on donations. You want to tell people, like, how they can donate to your Absolutely. Group? Go to AmericanExperiment.org, our website. Uh, you'll learn a lot about the things that we're doing. You can read a lot of our papers. Uh, there's, there's fresh content every day, and there's a donate button. And if you're a conservative and you'd like to see uh, Minnesota swing in a more conservative direction, we're making a lot of progress here. Things are changing, and we welcome uh, every, every donation, no matter how, uh, how large or small. And by the way, we're supported almost entirely by individual donations. We get a tiny amount of foundation money, but it's, it's, it's almost 100% individual donations. And on that note, we must end for this hour. This is Debbie George Jazz, America Can We Talk. Do not go away. We'll be right back.